This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. The Daily News had a very interesting article yesterday about Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and her re-election race next year. And they mention that nine months after she announced her candidacy for re-election, Senator Gillibrand has defied many expectations, and there appears to be no up-and-coming Democrats that have stepped in to challenge her. Because remember, we had heard a great deal about a number of potential challengers. People like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, people like Andrew Cuomo. There was even a burgeoning movement to get Governor David Patterson. And the pundits that are quoted in the Daily News piece said they doubted that the Republicans will bother with a serious general election effort to oust her. I did see listed somewhere that Josh Eisen, who's been a congressional candidate before... I did see that he was thinking about running. I'm not sure how official that is. I do think it would be a real shame, though, to not have Senator Gillibrand have a serious challenger in both the primary and the general election. I recognize that it's a tough road to hoe. I recognize you have to raise a lot of money to run statewide. But as other people have pointed out, Senator Gillibrand has been an incredibly underwhelming senator. She was very effective in getting the Zadroga Act for 9-11 victims permanently funded. Other than that, what would you say her signature accomplishment has been? Getting rid of Al Franken? So I am surprised there hasn't been someone that has emerged as a progressive challenger. And I'm surprised with so much talent, folks that ran for governor statewide in 2022 and seeing how close the Republicans came to actually winning the governor's mansion in 2022, even after a divisive primary. I'm surprised that we haven't seen one of those Republicans, a Lee Zeldin, an Andrew Giuliani, a Harry Wilson, a Rob Astorino even. I'm surprised we haven't seen one of those folks step forward to challenge her. And obviously, I always think there should be a vibrant independent challenge as well. Diane Sayre, I know, is running as an independent. She's been a guest on this show. I like a lot of what she has to say, but she is part of that Lyndon LaRouche movement, which is basically a cult. So I think her appeal is probably going to be similarly limited in the general election. I hope all the parties, all the entities will recruit a candidate for Senate to give Gillibrand a run for her money next year. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good 
tomorrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. We have spent a lot of time on this program talking about cybersecurity and how everybody, private institutions, government institutions, even individuals, is going to have to step up their game to make sure that you're not subjected to one of these horrible cyber attacks. Well, New York State's casino operation and two hospitals were hit with cyber attacks over the weekend. The State Gaming Commission confirmed that its central operating system serving the state's slot parlors was impacted by a cybersecurity attack which forced the closure of Jake's 58 out in Suffolk County for several days. This is the statement that a a spokesperson for the Gaming Commission, Brad Mayone, put out. On Tuesday, October 17th, 2023, Every, the licensed operator of New York's video lottery gaming central system, basically it's slot machine, experienced a cybersecurity event that remains under investigation. The commission has no indication that personal identifiable information was compromised. Now, thank goodness for that. But what's troubling about this is the word we were getting from Jake's 58 initially was that there was no cyber attack. That appears not to be the case. This appears to be the direct result of a cybersecurity attack. And I'm not sure why we weren't just leveled with from the get-go. What's even more potentially dangerous is Health Alliance Hospital and Margaretville Hospital in the Hudson Valley were forced to divert patients elsewhere over the weekend following cybersecurity incidents. It's not just casinos they're going after, they're going after hospitals. And the cyber hack also impacted the Mountainside Nursing Home. This is a problem that is already bad and is getting Worse, We're talking about attacks on hospitals and nursing homes. This could be catastrophic. I don't know what the solution is, but this is a problem that needs to be a top priority for everybody. The private sector and the public sector, we need to invest in an infrastructure and a cyber attack response protocol that is going to make our institutions impervious or as close to impervious as we can get to these cyber attacks because this is scary and has the potential to be catastrophic. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I have chronicled what's going on in the New Jersey state legislature before and how the Republicans actually have, for the first time in decades, a decent chance of taking one or both houses of the state legislature, which would be really interesting and could provide a nice bit of balance to Governor Murphy in Trenton. Well, what is going on is just fascinating because there is this shadowy, dark money political organization that is spending money on mailers attacking Republican state Senate candidates in two South Jersey districts. And this could not be more suspicious. But so far, whoever is behind Behind them, and there's been some great reporting on this from David Wildstein in the New Jersey Globe. Whoever's behind them has done a pretty good job covering their tracks. The group is called Jersey Freedom, and they've sent out mailers suggesting that conservatives back libertarian Sean Peck over state senator Vincent Palestina in the second district, and that conservatives South Jersey candidate that's the name of the party they created conservatives South Jersey candidate Giuseppe Costanzo against. 
Chris Del Borello in the 4th Senate District. Jersey Freedom filed with the IRS on September 11th, 2023, using a post office box in Jamaica, Queens. The P.O. box doesn't appear on any other political group filing with the IRS. We don't know who these people are. We don't know who's behind them. We don't know who's funding them. There's no digital footprint for anyone with that name in New York or New Jersey with an apparent motive to target Senators Paulistina or Del Borello, although it's likely that one exists perhaps indirectly. And the candidates that this entity is propping up, they're not saying much. Costanzo is a 61-year-old restaurant account manager. He had set up a time to speak with the New Jersey Globe, but then all of a sudden became unreachable. Because the mailers appear to be the first sign of spending, Jersey Freedom has not yet filed with the New Jersey Election Law Enforcement Committee and they have to reveal their donors in an 11-day pre-election report. But it seems to me like these third-party candidates, and you know me, I'm all for third parties and third-party candidates, these aren't genuine third-party candidates. It seems to me these third-party candidates are being put up solely to try and siphon one, two, three, or four percent of the vote from conservatives who would otherwise vote for the Republican. And it's kind of a dirty political trick, but I will point out to any Republicans that are unhappy with this that if New Jersey had ranked choice voting, they wouldn't be able to get away with this. Keep that in mind. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I don't think it's a secret that nobody likes convicted sex offenders, particularly people that are accused of molesting or abusing a child, and least of all me. But here's a sad reality. Well, I don't know that it's a sad reality. Here's the reality. They have constitutional rights also. Let me tell you about this story. It was reported in The Nation, also reported in The Marshall Project. It's a story of Jory Smith. Jory Smith is supposed to be free. His sentence had been up for five days on August 28th of 2020 when officers at Marcy Correctional Facility, a medium security prison in upstate New York, where Smith had spent almost five years, summoned him to a conference room. But instead of releasing him, they said they were taking him to another prison. Smith was confused. He asked where, he asked why. Prison staff wouldn't say. They threatened to lose his property if he asked again. A three-hour drive later, he found himself at Fishkill Correctional Facility in the Hudson Valley, where officers booked him, processed him, and sent him to a general population unit. And he's still there. Three years after his latest possible prison release date, he told New York Focus and The Nation, I have not been convicted and sentenced for a new crime. I am left to languish. Smith is one of hundreds of New Yorkers over the past decade whom the state has imprisoned past their maximum sentences, often for months or years. Well, how can they do this? It's not because the judicial system is afraid that he'll commit another crime. He's caged there essentially because he's homeless. In 2015, Smith was imprisoned for sexually abusing an eight-year-old girl. Horrible crime, absolutely horrible. And state legislation severely restricts where people 
people with such sex offense convictions are allowed to live. With few politicians willing to publicly defend people who've been found guilty of sex crimes, authorities have been free to push the boundaries of how to enforce the law. The state redesignates people convicted of sex offenses who have served their maximum prison sentences as parolees. But unlike others on parole, some of them don't get released. They're kept incarcerated until they can find a legal place to stay or until their parole is up. For Smith, that's August of 2025. This is terrible. Again, I have no interest in defending sex offenders, but if you have to create some sort of special camp, then maybe you look at that. But this is horrific. There should not be hundreds of people in prison now after their release date. Bottom line, they need to figure this out pronto. You're supposed to have a prison sentence that you serve and then be released. Beam me up! To be continued.